Hi there! This is the PowerPoint Tribe, where our vibe is faith and our food is the Word. Prepare to be strengthened and encouraged through the teachings of God's Word and the ministry of the Spirit. Alright, um, so for those who haven't been in this sort of session before, um, just to give you a few disclaimers and a few heads up. Um, so yeah, I sit because we're having, we're sort of having a conversation, okay? Um, so we're, we're in this together. Um, but so that I don't uh, talk off point because I like gist. Um, that's why we have the slides um, to guide the conversation as, as we go along. Um, so I like taking questions uh, towards the end of the session. So if you have anything, if anything comes up, please write it down. We'll take it towards the end. Cool? Okay. I mean, we're not, we're not that many today, so I mean, uh, conversation, all right? Okay. Um, so next slide. What a season we are in. Uh, what, a, what a period we are in as a tribe, as a church. Um, and let me contextualize it. Next slide. So we've been talking about, for the past couple of weeks, we've talked about gifts, we've talked about fruits, and we've talked about everything in between, right? Um, Okay, I'm good. So we've had the gift series um, on Sundays. We've had the fruits series, fruits of the spirit series on on Thursdays at home. We've had um, the inherent power series. It's a really long name, uh, so I'll just stick to inherent power. Then we had um, TNT recently. What a a wonderful session that was, and and I'm sure we are still a couple of us are still recovering from from that. And then last week we had life questions, which is one of my favorite times or one of my favorite settings. And, and you get to know why, why shortly. But it's, it goes without saying that, that this, the Holy Spirit himself has curated our journey so far, like step by step, building up um, from one thing on the other. And then with this series, we don't just touch it and then move. Like we touch it for one Sunday. Oh, the kiss of the Spirit and, and then move on. Um, but what we do is, is, so to speak, Precept upon precept, like line upon line, precept upon precept, um, creating depth. And that's, that's what, what is referred to as structured learning. Uh, so recently I had to take an exam, and the way I was going to practice was just solving a number of questions, you know, and then what you see is what you get when you get to the exam. And like, but then um, someone spoke to me about structured learning and why we learn things the way we do in school. You know how like, they teach you this, and then they build upon it, and then they build upon it. That way you know what you know, and you know what you don't know. Right, so I mean, at the exam, there were some questions. Was I because ah, I'm not going to do this part. I just keep moving, right? Um, but I mean, what we've been going through so far, so good in the tribe, is structured learning, in depth, one after the other, such that once we're living a series, you know that you have a full body of knowledge pertaining to that thing. All right, so next, next slide, please. So as, as we begin today, I'm sure a couple of people have questions of black, black rock thinking, what's this? Yeah, has come again. Um, but before I answer the questions you may have, I have some questions for you. Um, and these questions do not necessarily have, okay, I can't exactly see official expressions. Okay, but it's, it's fine. This, these questions do not exactly have right or wrong answers. They are more to pique your interest as we, no, please keep your masks off, thank you. Um, they're more to pick your interest as we go through um, our conversation, right? So question one, an animal caught in a trap would gnaw its leg to escape. 
True or false? True? False? True? Well, so think about it. Um, if you had a rap problem and you had a rat trap and it's just his leg got caught in, we didn't know. Like, have you ever come back to a rat trap and just made a leg? <laughs> it depends, right? I mean, as I said, no right or wrong. So question two. Wait, before I move on to question two, um, any sci-fi geeks in the house? Okay, I'm not alone, great, okay. <laughs> All right, so next, next slide, um, next question. In an exploratory inquisition, who is likely to make more meaningful contributions? The beginner or the expert? The beginner, interesting. How many of you have tried to diagnose, like maybe you felt symptoms in your body and you tried to diagnose and like you go online? <laughs> Anybody? <laughs> all right. Um, the beginner, the expert, the beginner, the expert, the beginner. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. Um, next slide. All right, and, and this is where we start from. Um, today's conversation is sort of a continuation of a conversation I said about two weeks ago on push buttons. Push buttons, anybody? Okay, um, so if, if you do not read push buttons, you're missing a whole lot. I mean, last week was when we had the conversation at Psyker, right? I'm, I'm not going to say more than that. But please, please read push buttons. I mean, it's PDFs available, pictures are available. It's also available on Medium. Um, yeah, there are quite some provoking thoughts to start your week with. Um, all right, but two weeks ago, push buttons was, um, was titled of Names and Towers. Um, so for those of us who missed push buttons, okay, we're still there. For those of us who missed push buttons, I'll do a quick recap, and then we'll take the conversation forward. Cool? All right, great, 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 great. All right, next slide, please. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Proverbs 18.10. Popular scripture, right? Um, so just as a side note, Proverbs is probably one of the most practical books in the Bible in terms of how to live. Like it's pretty direct, it's pretty straightforward and easy to understand. Um, I know growing up, uh, my dad always made us read Psalms and Proverbs every month. Like we run through it like every month. And back then it used to be like, come on. But I mean, it's, it's, it's had its place. It's, it's had its... Um, effect on my life as a person and how I conduct myself. But let's get into it. Let me not shall I eat too much. Um, so, the push button was centered on this particular, okay, okay. Was centered on this particular um, scripture of names and towers. And so we'll take each part separately. So the first bit is of names. How many of us know who that belongs to? Nobody? You can't say it, because, okay, I, I, I guess, exactly, you can't say it. All right, so the, the English dictionary um, defines a name as a word or set of words by which a person or thing is known, addressed, or referred to. So it's almost like I say, MD. We all know that. We know the person that we're referring to, so the name is like, I mean, I don't have to go to deep here. 
Um, but at the same time, a name is sort of an access point to a body of knowledge pertaining to that which is being referred to. So typically when names pop up in your head, there are certain emotions and certain um, ideas or certain notions that come up in your mind. Um, so I was looking for something in Egypt to put here, but it didn't quite work out. Um, how many of us have seen that um, Desmond Elliott's video about it evokes when you post this like, Okay, it's like I'm the only canal person here. All right. Uh, but okay. So, um, next slide, please. So, the power or utility of a name is backed by its associated knowledge. So, to speak, um, if I call Pastor Dummy, there is a certain reverence and a certain that you would, that would come to mind based on what you know about Pastor Dummy. Right? Or if I mention another name, maybe like a poor or something, you exactly people are already laughing because of the body of knowledge behind that name. All right. Um. So I mean, the first section where we had that one thing belonged to he who must not be named, so I can't say his name. Uh, <laughs> and then I mean, we have Philippians four nine speak about the name of Jesus, how that it has been placed above all other names. Um, and if you see from verses, probably let's. let's Quickly take a swing there. Uh, Philippians 4. Um, so that it wouldn't just be, he said. Philippians 4 from verse 9. Verse 9 is where scripture said, um, okay, so I think I've mixed something up. So I think I've, I've mixed that up. Um, I'm looking for the verse that says, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. Huh? Two ten. Okay. And two ten. Right. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. Right. But before we got to the part where um, the scripture spoke to the power behind that name, you'd see from verse, I think, 8, where it lists, or actually from 6, uh, well, actually we can start from 5, where it speaks about the mind of Christ and what he went through before he got that, or that name got that status. So there's that body of knowledge through experience or otherwise before that. All right, and so to a, to a certain extent, right, um, okay, before I get there, so another example is incantations, right? So when you have all these guys doing these funny things, they call a name, and they, I've forgotten what they call it, something like Oriki, or there's, eh? Offo, yeah, where they talk and talk and talk about the name and, and all of that, and then that's, there's that power, quote and unquote, that is released. Um, in, in some way, we kind of all do incantations, When you name drop, right? So when you're having a conversation and then you're just sliding, you know, I was started last week, and you know, we were. Um, and then because you dropped that name, there is some certain, exactly. So anyway, there's somebody here who has met physically with Tony Lumelu. And I remember the day we were having that conversation and you just, you just slipped it in and I was like, ah, okay. But well, here's the funny thing, though. If you do not know, if you do not have access to the body of knowledge, that name will not mean anything to you. 
So here, for example, we we're talking about, let me see, who, who can I mention that you guys don't know? If we're talking about a Toby Ajibadi, nobody knows who that is. <laughs> right? Um, so just as a side note, right? So next slide, knowledge is power. I think we can all agree at that point. Um, but I think if you look at it, you see, I see knowledge is power-ish. It kind of depends on the knowledge you have. But, but generally speaking, I mean, we see from the burning of books in Ephesus, um, that's there in Acts 19. We also see from Daniel 11, that they that know their God shall be strong. And I mean, um, I mean, even the definition of eternal life is hinged on knowledge. This is eternal life to know, right? So knowledge is power. No need to, to beat the bush. Um, but the real test of knowledge is utility, meaning you may know something, but if you don't put it to use, of what's used is said knowledge, right? Um, so I, I think we've dealt with this before, so I don't need to, you know, like, what we can agree. Um, but here's, here's another thing to notice that because knowledge is utility, you kind of have to have it at the forefront of your mind to use it. Whether it's by hand, or sorry, what do you call it? Offhand or offhead? Offhand. Yeah, offhand that you have it in your memory, or you are looking at something. Um, oh, by heart is the correct term. Okay, by heart. Um, so, based on that, we can say a name plus the knowledge behind it is equal to power, right? Yeah, I know what some of you may be thinking. I've come again with these equations, right? Um, so I guess let's <laughs> let's simplify it. Yeah, um, I really like equations. Um, just put that there. Um, but I mean, just as a recap, a name is an access to a body of knowledge. That knowledge, when utilized, generates power. Same page? Awesome, awesome. Power is defined as the ability or capacity to do something in a particular way. Okay. So then we get to the second part, or second bit um, of towers. Recall that the, the anchor scripture, as it were, is the name of the Lord is a strong tower. We dealt with the name, let's deal with the tower. You, you guys know that's like, that was a Lego ad. Like a Lego, you know Lego blocks, Lego bricks. Okay, all right, great. All right, a tower is made up of individual bricks. Um, and similarly, a body. Um, so it's almost like, um, if you're this tree, for example, you know the height, you know the color, you know the, so like different bits of knowledge about this three tree, sort of make up the tower of knowledge that this tree is. Um, however, for, like in, when you're building towers, like it kind of has to be coherent, consistent, um, and intertwined. So the, the blocks or the knowledge is intertwined and wrapped up together in one another. It's sort of how memory works, how that it's easier to remember something if you link it to something else you know. Uh, it's one of the reasons why the average person would not forget their childhood um, home because of the memories linked to that address. So like, you would hardly forget that address. I think I can still remember mine. Yeah. Um, because of all the memories and everything that happened around that, that are linked to that particular memory. Um, and here's the funny thing, actually, because I, I know when, when I started looking at, at um, the name of the Lord being a strong tower and trying to picture it, Ephesians 3.17, 
uh, where it talks about that we may know the length, that we may know the breadth, that we know the depth, that we know the height. It's actually dimensions of a building. Like this building has length, it has breadth, it has depth because it has foundation and it has a height. It's like, okay, so the love of God is a body of knowledge as it were. Okay. Um, so, I mean, like we've seen in Nigeria, we have good houses and we have the other ones. Um, we have houses that fit together and houses that look like my next slide. Oh, we're already there. <laughs> okay. Right. Um, how many of us played Jenga before? Okay. Yay. But in, in building, um, each block sort of needs to fit itself. Each body of knowledge needs to fit and make sense, make, have some logic, be coherent. Otherwise, it would be a shaky tower, one that you would not necessarily rely on. Uh, one that you don't necessarily run to in, in the day of trouble. And, and we see examples of this in scripture, how Ephesians 4.14 speaks about the person who is tossed and fro by every wind of doctrine. Like, okay, let, let me not go there yet. Um, and then we see uh, Matthew 7.24 speaking about the house on the sand, how that there were the rains, the wind, and the house came down. Um, how many people have attempted to cram a sequence for an exam? And then, let's say, you cram, you cram, you cram, and then by the time you are pouring, you forget one. <laughs> ah, oh my, thank God we've graduated. Because <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just remembering certain things that happen, and I'm like, wow, how did I pass? <laughs> but, okay, so you wouldn't necessarily, you wouldn't trust a Jenga-type building. Um, you wouldn't, I mean, there, there are certain, I think there was, there was this video that went around one time, this was before the Kuwait, and about a building that was on its own for like five seconds and then just went down. Like, I mean, it was already looking shaky. Like, you wouldn't, there are certain structures you would not ordinarily go under or go into, just like, how far? Right? Um, so a Jenga-type tower or body of knowledge that is incoherent, that is incomplete, that is not cohesive, is not one you would rely on. So it's almost like saying that if, this is David, right? Um, he had a body of knowledge through experience with the sling and stones. He didn't have a body of knowledge through experience or otherwise with Saul's armor. So at the time where he was going to face a test or trial, he didn't go with what was incoherent or incomplete. He went with what he had complete knowledge of. So he knew all the techniques, this is how to throw it, this is how, how many times you turn it, this is all of that, pretty much. All right, so this is why we should actually, um, or this then makes sense with the scripture that says we should count it all joy um, because the trial of your faith produces patience that ye may be perfect and entire. So the trial of your faith comes to test your tower. How far? Is it Jenga? Is it standing? Let's know what's up. Um, and it's better to know with the state of your tower now, in the short term, so you can, you know, like fix up, oh, okay, if, if it blew and maybe a few bricks came out, you know, okay, these ones are probably made of straw. Let's replace them. 
than to wait to the end and then find out that the entire house was just straw, right? So it's teaching time, saves nine. All right, so we're moving on from towers to the bits I, I think I'm going to, that we're going to spend some time on. Um, murder your darlings. Yeah. Okay, let's, let's jump in. So here's what I mean by darlings. Like, I don't mean go about murdering like people you know, um, the people you call darling. Um, that's not what I refer to. But question, have you ever built or had something precious that you loved just because you had it? It didn't have any, it, it may not necessarily have any intrinsic economic value. Hoarders in the house. Well, not many. That's strange. <laughs> you guys don't hoard stuff. You don't have sentimental attachments to like maybe like it gives. Uh, like the shirt is old, but it was given to you by somebody you hold dear. So just somewhere there. You don't wear it, but it's good to look at. No? Okay. <laughs> okay. Ah. Uh. Well, I mean, think about this, right? Um, once we own something, we kind of tend to overvalue it or overestimate its value. So I'll give a couple of examples. So let's, let's look at real estate, for example. If, if we were to ask you, if you owned a house, and we asked you, oh, how much do you think this house would go for? You would systematically overvalue your house. Abi? <laughs> it's your house. It's, you know, it has memories, precious. It's my precious. It's just precious to you, though. <laughs> um, but then, I mean, there, there were social experiments carried out to prove this as well. So a, a professor in the class divided his students into two. Um, and he gifted one set a gift of mugs, um, coffee mugs, regular mugs. So he asked the set he gifted mugs to state how much they would be willing to sell the mugs. And asked the set who didn't get mugs, how much they'll be willing to buy the mugs. They both seen the mugs, but one party owns, one party doesn't. Guess what happened? The guys who owned the mugs priced it about, at about $5 per mug. The guys who didn't said they'll buy for like $2 or something. Like, what are you talking about? I mean, the same experiment was carried out with um, basketball tickets and exactly the same thing, astronomical difference. Simply because you own it, you tend to overestimate its value. Um, Yard sale, anybody? I was recently part of a yard sale, and I think some, some people here were, were privy to some of the things that went down. Huh? Like, I'm like, ah, wait, look at this thing you're selling me. Look at the price online, brand new. Like, what? What's going on here? Um, but, and then I think lastly, this is probably one that almost everybody here should be able to relate to is the job market. Um, have you ever applied for a job? Um, you know how you apply for a job and you get that part that immediately? Um, we regret to inform you, <laughs> right? You just say, eh, we move, right? But if you pass the first stage, you pass the second stage, you pass the third stage, and then at the first, fourth stage, he told you, we regret to inform you. You're like, at the end of the day, right, in both case scenarios, you didn't get the job. But in one case, you are more annoyed than you were in the other, simply because to a certain extent, you had almost owned it. Yeah? So this is called the endowment effect. Um, it's, 
an emotional bias that causes individuals to overestimate the value of an object that they own, often irrationally, and often higher than its market value. So, a few scriptures to back this up. So, um, Isaiah 6.1.3 speaks about how um, when Jesus comes, you exchange beauty for ashes, right? And then John 9.4, sorry, John 9.41, we see um, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. So what happened, just context, um, was where Jesus healed the blind man on the Sabbath, and then the Pharisees cast him out because Haba, how far? You're not supposed to be healed on the Sabbath. And then Jesus goes on to say something about he came into the world that the blind may see, and those who see, it may be made blind. And then the Pharisees were asking, how far? Are you saying we are blind? Um, and his, his response was something interesting. He, he says, you say you can't see. Because they have taken the knowledge they have, which is ashes, right? But they have overvalued it. Take an example. Um, the Laodicean church in Revelation 3.17, how that you say I am, they say they were rich but they were, but because what they were rich in was owned, they systematically overvalued it compared to what they should have been exchanging that for. All right. So we've spoken about um, the endowment effect with respect to things we own, um, but with, with knowledge, it's a bit deeper. Um, so the mind, so to speak, is like a cityscape. So you have different towers, different buildings of knowledge. Probably have that of how to drive, how to eat, how to scatter it across your mind. Um, so technically speaking, you own these towers in your mind. So there would be the endowment effect, but with the case of knowledge, it's a bit deeper and it's something else. Um, but let me explain it this way. Remember the game Tetris? Um, it's really funny how that, that game was purposeless, pointless, but we spent hours on that game. It reminds me of, what's the other one that people, like, where somebody's running? Yeah, like, there is no end. There is no destination. You are just running, right? Well, I mean, I'm, studies have shown that the best games are purposeless. Um, it's just what it is. Um, but here's, here's the thing with, with Tetris and, and why I'm using Tetris example. So you know how, like we've said that your mind is like a cityscape, so you already have cities, you already have structures. And new knowledge is like the falling blocks. Now, in the game of Tetris, you don't have a choice. What you see is what you get, right? And you can turn your turn your turn and find something to, to put it in. But with our minds, the way it works is if the new knowledge doesn't find somewhere to fit with pre-existing knowledge, by default, it would come in through one year and pass out through the next. It's why, um, so for example, your, we used the example of your childhood memories before, how that if that passes through, it stays because it has things it fits to. But if new knowledge comes in and doesn't have anywhere to fit, it just passes out. Um, yes, I think I wanted us to particularly read a scripture. Uh, so let's see, Matthew 13, 13. I mean, just, just to highlight, highlight this. Okay, I think that's where it's, it spoke about or why, why Jesus speaks in parables because they see but do not see, they hear but do not hear. Because I mean, they're actually hearing, but it doesn't settle. Um, and how, 
um, okay, I think Matthew 21, 42 to 44 spoke to how one of the times when um, the Pharisees came to Jesus and with questions and he would do two moves and checkmate. Um, but even at that, they would still not agree. Like they would not bend what they know or what they think they know to align with what it is that they are seeing. Right? And like, like, I think in Matthew 21 actually, the Bible said that the Pharisees knew that they were the ones he was talking about. But still, they didn't bend. Um, because, I mean, if it doesn't fit by default, comes in, goes out. This is called the confirmation bias. It's the mother of all misconceptions. And it's, it's defined as the tendency to interpret new data or new information so that it becomes compatible with your existing theories, beliefs, and convictions, ignoring anything that contradicts what you already believe or what you already think you know. So uh, Warren Buffett put it this way, that what the human being is best at doing is interpreting all new information so that their prior conclusions remain intact. So pretty much what you see is not just what's there, but what you agree with. Um, and, I, and I think that's, that's the funny thing about um, technology, incre increasing age of technology or the increasing features of technology and social media, how that you now have feeds tailored to you. So it's almost like if you have an idea and you've shown or indicated interest in a particular line of thinking, your feeds, your, even your Google search actually will be tailored to your preferences such that you may be in your own bubble. <laughs> Here's the thing though that even, <coughs> excuse me, even without this, um, what we would, what the human being would generally tend to see is, uh, like if you present information, they would tend to firstly see that which agrees with what they already believe before they then, and probably just say, oh, special, it was a special case. There's um, a term the statisticians use. Yeah, normally, or exactly, thank you, Ma. Outlier, it's an outlier, it doesn't, any disconfirming evidence to what you already believe is an outlier, it's an anomaly, it's a special case. Um, and with the reading of scripture, this, uh, there, there are two schools of thought. There's exegesis, exegesis. Exegesis is where you let it interpret itself to you. Exegesis is where you confirm that which you already believe into. You know, I mean, I've seen that thing where you're, you already have an idea and you're just looking for, you know, scriptures to, to back it, to, to to make it make sense, right? Um, so two, two examples come to mind, and I like riddles, so here, here's, here's a riddle. Um, so uh, food dreams and the blind date. I'm sure we all know the food dreams scenario of where confirmation bias played out. Do we? No? We do? So tell me now. <laughs> Who? Eh? Okay, I'll, I was hearing something else. Okay, please say yes. How about the blind date? It's going, eh? Not necessarily. How does the confirmation bias play out there? Blind date. Blind date. Blind date. Anybody? Probably. 
Isaac Howe. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Actually, that makes sense. But that's that's not where I'm, that wasn't a date, right? Um, yeah, when 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 Jacob was brought to him, yes, that that sort of makes sense. Um, but that's that's not, that's not where I'm going. All right, next slide, please. Right? So, I mean, he came to his own and they knew him not. It's, it's the, like they had been chatting. They had been, you know, from a distance over a couple of years. They should have, you know, they know his ways, they know his laws. They've been through an experience and then he finally showed up and I'm like, who is this? <laughs> because... <laughs> <laughs> exactly, because I mean, there was already like an image, and because what showed up didn't add up to that image, you're like, actually, what you paid for was just what you got. Like that's 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 the that's the here here's what the confirmation bias can lead to. Then, and this is this is really the tricky bit with. Oh, I'm running faster. This is really the tricky bit with. Um, the confirmation bias is that you can end up with a coherent house, a cohesive house, a house that makes sense, but it's a house of straws. Like, it would add up to everything else that you know about it. Whereas a house of straws built on sand. And anybody remember the three little pigs? And he huffed and puffed and... Let's look at Matthew 7.24. Why do you guys remember the three little pigs? Like... <laughs> Therefore... Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears this saying of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, and it fell. And great was its fall. Here's them. Doesn't sit. So it goes out. So you can't do them. Because again, true test of knowledge is utility. For you to use, it must either be in your heart or in your hand. What you hear, co-balance, goes out. Let's look at Matthew 21, 23 to 32. It's sort of a long read, but I'll run through it. Um, yeah, this was one of the checkmate situations. Um, now, when he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Um, but Jesus answered and said to them, I will also ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? They reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? 
if we say from men, we fear the multitude, for all counts John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus and said, we do not know. And then he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. But what do you think? A man had two sons and he came to the first son, to the first and said, son, go, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of, which of, the two did the will of his father? They answered the first. And Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that the tax collectors and the harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, but you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. My emphasis is on verse 32. John came in the way of righteousness. I mean, Jesus, funny enough, answered their question for them. Like the question he posed to them as John the Baptist, where did you come from? John came in the way of righteousness. He did not believe him. I mean, of course, he did not add up. So let's not believe him. The harlots and tax collectors believed him. And you saw it. Like you saw this confirming evidence. But you did not relent. That's how small but impactful this bias is. Where it's, the answer is staring you in the face. But simply because co-ad, it is quickly, actually, very, 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 very quickly. Um, <laughs> how many of us did practicals during our like, projects, final year projects, where you actually have an actual practical? How quickly did you erase certain results that came out <laughs> that did not add up to your, you know, your theory or the hypothesis you are putting forward? Very quickly, just. Again, this is why, and I'm coming back again to, to really maybe you say emphasizes a bit more why we should count it all during when we're faced with diverse trials. Because you may not know if you're on a house of straws unless somebody huffs and puffs and blows it all up. Yeah, okay, let's move. Let's move. I mean, I mean there, there are a couple of scriptures um, that we should probably let's read one. Let's read uh, First Peter. One, six. one from six. Um, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the point of the trials, to test that which you believe, to test that which you claim to know. All right, let's, let's move on, right? Um, so what's, what is the value of a house of straws, really? The problem is that you own it. 
So, I mean, naturally, you'd have the endowment effects. You would tend to overvalue that which you already know compared to... Here's how Paul dealt with his house of straws. Um, yes, indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. That is the value of a house of straws. Rubbish. <laughs> but here's, here's something to note. Um, let's read it. Uh, Philippians 3, so before, I, before I note it, or as we're reading, I'll be noting it, um, that if you notice, everything Paul listed that he was counting as loss um, or counting as rubbish were things pertaining to righteousness and spiritual things. You didn't see him mention that he counts his ability to make tents as loss. It's a certain area of the city designated to doesn't you have a sitting in your mind, right? Designated to spiritual things and a knowledge of God and how they work that needed to be bulldozed and built again from the ground up. I mean, so for example, you see in Ephesus, I think we referenced it earlier, how that when um, there was teaching or the preaching and people were giving their lives to Christ, the witches burned their books. It wasn't a, oh, Okay, so this new knowledge, how do I add it to this book? How do I, this is my way of moving in the spiritual realm. How do I take that knowledge and fit it in? They burnt their books. It's a clean slate and start again. Um, the knowledge of Christ, um, which is in fact eternal life, is not something you add to preconceived notions and ideas. Uh, Matthew 18 speaks to how... Um, we need to receive the kingdom of God like little children. Here's, here's a fun fact about little children. So anybody have any friend who does any card tricks? All those sleight of hand type of tricks that... So there was a guy at, at Pastor Midi's wedding. Well, he was on the groom's train. So the nights before the wedding, this guy was too good. Like, it was mind-blowing. Like, it was the first time I was seeing it up close. Like, I was like, how do you do this? And then he explained to me, oh, this is how you do this, this is how you do this. And one of the key things that he mentioned was that this trick will not work on a child. Because a child does not have a preconceived idea of how the card should move. So, I mean, he was shuffling cards in a certain way. It looks like he's shuffling it, but he's not shuffling it. But because we know he's shuffling it, we see it as he's shuffling it. But the dude is not shuffling nothing. Like, your card is right where it is. There's A child would see that. Because a child doesn't assume to know how a card should be shuffled. Well, we do, so... So the idea is, with respect to spiritual things, with respect to the knowledge of God, with respect to the knowledge of Christ, it's a clean slate. You don't start from... Because, I mean, before the missionaries came, we already had our way of life. And... Some of those ways of life have seeped into a couple of things. Well, it ought, it ought to be a clean slate. You don't try to fit that into what you already know. And I mean, God sees, God hears, God cares. So he made provisions, you know. I came in like a 
Right? So, I mean, he's been provisioned for the weapons of our warfare are not canal. They might trigger for the strongholds, towers, bodies of knowledge that exalt themselves. Claire? Yeah. At this point, you're like, ah, all this story. We never see rock. <laughs> right? Um, we're getting there. We're getting there. But I think before we get to the rock, I, I, I need to. You know, so, so, um, actually, let's get to the rock. Let's get to the rock. So, Second Peter one five, um, we we see Peter admonishing, add to your faith, virtue to this. Not it's add to your faith. There is nothing before your faith. Your faith is the foundation. Um, and then we see in Matthew sixteen, on this rock I would build. Um, the rock there being, I'm sure we all know this, right? I don't have to. We do. Great. On this rock, main revelation of Jesus Christ as the Son of God, I will build my church. Um, rock, foundation. Add to your faith. Rock is clear, Abby. You send your rock now. Okay. Um, any attempts to add this rock to what you already know is like building a foundation on top of a building. It won't add up somehow, Sha. Like the house you are going to have or the tower you are going to have at the end of the day is going to be like this. Um, let's look at First Corinthians 2 and then we'll jump back. Sorry, First Corinthians 1, then we'll jump back to Matthew 21 because um, this is something that may be important. Okay. Okay, so it's, it's a long read. Uh, I'm just going to jump straight to verse 22. Um, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. But those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Um, so I think to explain this, let's go to Matthew 21, and we'll read 42 to 44. Because it's kind of about the same thing, 42. <laughs> so this is, this is after, this was in the same conversation that was being had the other time. So we know we read the other parable about, um, i trying to remember what it was now, of the sons. And then there was not the parable of the wine dressers. And after the parable of the wine dressers, um, where Jesus then asks, Jesus says to them, have you never read in the scriptures, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken to you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken. But whoever if it falls on would grind him to powder. So this is in the same conversation where the Pharisees were asking, um, on whose authority? And after the first response of, oh, you saw. John the Baptist, you saw. You did not believe. He then went on to say another um, parable. And at the end of that, he then said this statement that we just read. And the thing is that both Jews and Greeks were trying to fit um, the knowledge of Christ into what they already knew. So the Jews were used to... <laughs> For lack of better terms at the moment, 
highfalutin theories. But if they saw a sign, they would take it hook, line, and sinker. The Greeks, on the other hand, it had to make sense. Like, it has to add up. Like, it must be wise. It must be coherent. So, the Jews were looking for a sign. And Jesus said, the only sign you get is Jonah. The Greeks were looking for it to make sense. But it looked like foolishness to them. So in both cases, it didn't add up. Both of them missed it. To one, it was a stumbling block because, okay, yes, we've been waiting for this promise, but there is no sign that this is the promise. How far? Stumbling block. The other hand, this is foolishness. Like, this is, what are you talking about? In both cases, they missed it. Simply because they were trying to fit that new knowledge with their pre-existing patterns of thinking. So, with knowledge, it's much deeper. Examine your beliefs. Um, and, and we're going to get into this a bit deeper towards, towards the end. Um, but this is one of the reasons why I really like um, questions and case scenario type assessments. But I said what I was excited about last week, um, usually excited about things like that, is because it gets you to actually question what you know. It gets you to engage, actively engage the content as opposed to, you know, let's just hear this, let's just hear Like you actually think through what it is you're asking and seeing how it fits and seeing how it works and seeing, would I say, gaps or gray areas that may need some cement. Right. Okay. So we've seen the rock. We've seen something that looks like thinking. Where is black in all of this? Um, I mean, even the design do not have black. So where's the black? I'm wearing black, right? I mean, it's, that's, that's great. Um, but before, before we get to the black, because that's, that's what we're getting to, I just want to do a quick recap on what we've, we've talked through so far. Anchor scripture, Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. In the name of the Lord, access to a body of knowledge. That knowledge when relied upon when run into produces power enough to keep the righteous safe. We've looked at the various biases that um, come about with our minds being a cityscape, so to speak. So there's the downright effects, confirmation bias, straw houses, how it's possible to, based on these biases, have complete and coherent houses but built of straws. And how trials are the litmus test. Um, we're talking about strongholds. How that there needs to be that clearing. And God has made provision for that. For the weapons of our warfare. Right? And then we talked about rocks. We talked about the rock. Which is the foundation of our faith. The foundation of our belief. So I think at this point we can answer the exploratory inquisition question. Meaning who is likely to contribute more to in this case scenario. Uh, okay. <laughs> it, so again, these questions don't have right or wrong answers. It varies per case. In this case, we respect spiritual things. In an exploration, the absolute beginner. Because you are not trying to fit what you are seeing to what you know. So let's talk about rocks and black. Right, I'm going to start this section off. This, this, this is the, I think, penultimate um, section. I'm going to start this section off with a question. How can what is airborne be safer than what is grounded? 
I mean, there's movement by cars. We have the estimated death per billion miles, 7.3. There's moving by bikes. Funny thing about bikes, actually, is that, so I have, I have a friend who is like, he can never climb a bike. How can he put his life on just two tires? <laughs> um, so I was about to say when I was younger, but I'm still young. Um, but I, I had this funny experience where I took a bike. I can't remember what I was thinking right now. I remember actually, and I'll tell you. Where I took a bike from the University of Ibadan, from the gate to Oshobo. <laughs> the same bike. <laughs> like how the bike man even agreed to that trip is most. <laughs> so I was in 100 level, in my defense, I was in 100 level. I was new in, I was new in Ibadan. Um, I think we were on a mini strike. I didn't have too much to do. I wanted to see a friend who was in Oshibu. She was in another school. Um, yeah, it was a she. I mean, I wouldn't go that far for like how far. Like really, guys, think about it. <laughs> we can talk on the phone, <laughs> right? Um, but she was in Oshibu, and I mean, based on my little movement in within Ibadan, I found out that bikes were faster because I mean, buses will always be stopping. Uh, cows always stop and all of that. So bikes are just generally fast. And if you want to get from point A to point B, you never know. Take a bike, you're there. So I woke up that morning and I thought, let's take a bike. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I took the bike back. So. Um, but yes, let's, let's come back. Um, so I mean, bikes, 212 deaths per billion miles. And then you then have the ones that the tires are not even touching the ground. That are carrying more people than these other guys. 0 0.7 death per billion miles. Ow. Knowledge. Right, right. Well, I mean, we, we kind of need to contextualize, right? And <laughs> Yes, they had control towers, but here's Mm. We have okay. So, so I mean, all the things you are mentioning, right, should make it at least, in my opinion, at par with car accidents. Because in car accidents, you can't see. Why you need control towers is because you cannot. You may not be able to see the tarmac while they are up there. In cars, you can't see. You can't see the weather. You can't see your fellow drivers. <laughs> right, right, right. I, I can see it's, it's, it's an interesting one, right? So, here's... Here's... <laughs> There's turbulence. Have you been in turbulence before? <laughs> okay, but um, so while all the things you've suggested so far are so good are accurate, they have better training, they have more investment in technology and all of that. Well, do they? Because I mean, car technology guys are also moving forward. Um, but there was one key innovation that somewhat revolutionized this industry. 
Exactly. I mean, you guys probably would have already seen where I was going. The black. Oh, you guys. Oh, it's already up. Mm. The black box, right? So the black box was, um, I think, invented or implemented sometime between 1950-64, um, and this device was used as an to record the cockpit, um, so where the pilots were, and record the instruments. And that way, event of a crash. And the device was also indestructible, so they could retrieve that device, listen to what happened, see what the instruments were doing, and then, as a result of that, see what caused that crash, and then fix up. See where I'm going with this? Trial, huff and puff, black box, fix up. Okay. Um, here's a fun fact, though. The black box is actually bright orange. It's not black. <laughs> uh, one of the reasons for this color is so that they can easily identify it in a crash. So if there's a crash, I mean, you can't be looking for a black piece of that. Right. Um, next slide. A failure to learn from mistakes has been one of the single greatest obstacles to human progress. It's partly because we are so willing to blame others for their mistakes that we are so keen to conceal our own. Let's take the Pharisees. They saw John the Baptist, they analyzed and rejected. And made it public, quote unquote. They then saw disconfirming evidence, but because they tried to hide or conceal their mistake or their failure in that initial analysis, they dug their foot in and held on to that which they believed. One thing about the sub-statement here is that the Pharisees are the same people who, when somebody else sins, will drag them out and say, how far? Stoner. It's partly because human beings have the tendency to quickly point out blame in others, that there is that instinctive <laughs> desire is not the word, a reaction to conceal a failure or conceal an error. <laughs> Remove the log in your eye before you let he who is without sin. And then there's the amazing proverbs. Like Access with no person. Cover it. Because mm, should I get ahead of myself? Okay, maybe let me get ahead of myself a little bit. Um, because what happens when you cover a sin or cover an error is that you repeat it. So there is a huff and puff and you blew it all away. But you go back and pick those straws and rebuild. Because let me not get ahead of myself. <laughs> All right. Um, and, and I think this, this um, thing is, the net effect of this is that it obliterates openness, transparency, spawns cover-ups, and destroys vital information that could be used to learn. So what is black box thinking, which is actually where I got the idea behind the name. It's a book written by Matthew Said. If you care to, to read it. But it's, it's about creating systems and cultures that enable organizations 
and people to learn from their errors rather than being threatened by them. Um, this is the ethos that the aviation industry took on with the innovation of the black box that then led to a steady decline in the number of crashes. Such that what now is not grounded is safer than what is grounded. Um, James 5.16 speaks about confessing our sins one to another. Um, I'm, I'm, when we get there, I'm going to do maybe do a little deep dive um, a bit and, and look at what some of those words were and read that scripture in context. Um, let's move on. But yeah, so funny thing, in the aviation industry, they found out that one of the major sources of um, crashes, one of the major causes is that um, it wasn't a lack of diligence or motivation. It's not like the pilots were distracted, you know, maybe like they were driving and, ah, oh, that's a bird, no. But it's that they had a system that was insensitive to human psychology. Um, in a nutshell, um, they were focused on one thing, or the way they were trained and the way they, um, they operated, they were, the pilots were focused on one thing and as a result, lost sight of other things and lost sight of time. Um, but let's, let's, let's speak a bit about human psychology, right? Um, so sci-fi guys in the house, I'm sure you'd enjoy this. Um, anybody here of the gum jabba test? Okay, two people. Wow. All right. Oh, no. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. And by the gum jabba test is, is from the movie, well, from the books, actually, um, by Frank Herbert Dune. Um, so this test is carried out on gifted individuals, people who have... Um, gifts or powers as per that universe. And the point of the test was to prove their humanity. The idea behind the test was that, um, was the question I asked. An animal, um, when caught in a trap, would gnaw off its leg to escape. Even though he knows that after gnawing off your leg, your chances of survival are slim to none. But pretty much, they put a poison needle next to the person's um, neck and then ask the person to put his hand into a box that would inflict some serious amount of pain. Um, here's the thing, if you, take, if you take your hand out of the box, they would choke you. That's a word, right? Chook is a word. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, so, of course, I'm sure you can guess what, what would happen, right? Next slide, please. Yeah, because you're in pain, but you can't take your hands out. The gum jabba test is really a, an instinct versus awareness test. Meaning, instinctively, you would remove your hand. But you are aware that there's a poison needle next to your neck. It's fundamentally a test of one's ability to consciously override instinct. And they propose or argue that that is one of the key differences between an animal and a human being. An animal is an animal of instincts. You poke it like this, it goes like that, you poke it like that. But a human being is one who is capable of rational thought. So their test of humanity was your ability to consciously override instinct. Yeah, cool story, bro. What does this have to do with the black box? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it's a cool story. I have to agree. Um, but here's what it has to do with the black box. That 
the human instinctive response to failure and gaps is predictably irrational. Endowment effect, confirmation bias, an attitude to failure that you want to conceal it. And cognitive dissonance. We'll get cognitive dissonance very, very soon. It's one of my favorite biases. So, I mean, yes, now you know. But the question is, can you override it? Like with the use of the black box, a reunion of the mind or the pulling down of strongholds or a city reconstruction is more often than not a conscious effort and not a default response. You need convincing? Think I'll refer. Nobody here knows Erifai. <laughs> you guys don't know Erifai. <laughs> ah, okay, good, good. the reaction was not what I had expected. <laughs> but I mean, I, I, I was in Abuja at the time when he was doing what he did. And I mean, it was painful for most. Um, painful for most. I think that's, that's the easiest way to put it. But it was a necessary evil. Abuja would not be what it is today if he didn't actively and consciously. So, black rock thinking. is about creating systems and, that enables believers to clearly identify and engage in conversations around and learn from errors, failures, and knowledge gaps in a safe environment rather than being or feeling threatened or judged by them. So I, I wrote being and then I crossed it out because I think, and I would like to think, that in our generation we've evolved to the point, or we've grown to the point where there is no judgment in terms of externally. But internally we tend to judge ourselves, and so that reflects in the way we interpret how other people, or how we think other people react to what it is that happened, or what is it that, right? I wrote it, so let me just quickly talk about it. But I'll skip the Sylvester one and just talk about Omicron and, and the bands. So, Omicron came out, right? South Africa said, how far? This thing is here. What did everybody else do? They shut down. Don't come here. What do you think is going to happen the next time another variant comes out of Africa? Nobody's going to say nothing. Nothing. Like completely nothing. Because if something, like, like if I was open, I mean, it's, I mean, to a certain extent, you can't blame either parties, right? It's the natural thing to want to protect yourself. But if that is the reaction to what, because it's not an error, probably a gap. Funny thing, actually, is I think studies show later on that the Omicron variant started outside and then it came, but I mean, they've already. Should another variant come out, nobody's going to see anything. And what would happen in that town if, or in that area, if there is no access to what is required to keep them um, healthy and safe and, and recover? Is that it would be that way. Let's look at James 5.16. Yes, society tends to be unforgiving, and this is borderline irrational, right? Because um, it's a state, and it's not permanent, and we'll talk about that in a bit. 
Uh, okay, so let's start from 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. 16. Um, and I think a couple of versions add, therefore, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So two things I want to, to point out here. Confess your sins. The sins here, um, the word is paraptoma, which means to fall beside, to deviate, or to, to fall beside to lapse or a deviation from the truth. The key word here is that the healed used in this verse is not someone was sick, as it were, and the person is now whole or now healed. Like you aren't feeling fine, now you're feeling fine. It wasn't physical in nature. The root word here for healed was ayomai, which means free from errors and sins. Let's move, let's move, let's move, let's move, let's move. So I want to talk quickly about this being just beyond errors because I know there is the, the natural tendency to interpret that verse as confess your sins or you sinned, let's confess. But I mean, the root word there spoke to, to elapse or a division from the truth. So it may not necessarily be a um, sin. It may be, oh, this is a way of thinking about something and it's a division from the truth and you talk about it and there is that communion. So it's beyond errors. So I have a hypothesis, right? Frustration is directly proportional to the gap between what you know and what your realities are, directly. If, there, if the wider the gap, the higher the frustration because you're expecting something. You are, it's almost like you have if this, then that in your head and then you do this, but that doesn't come out. You're like, what's going on here? Um, and Proverbs 13, 12 speaks to how hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope in the sense that you are hoping for something as a result of something, but it's deferred, meaning it's not coming. Makes the heart sick. Frustration. Um, so there's <laughs> here's, here's the thing, though, that happens sometimes when uh, I'll just quickly enter this and come out immediately so that we can finish our, our session this morning. Here's something that tends to happen sometimes when we have these gaps and these frustrations. Um, we sometimes in sometimes, sometimes, nobody should crucify me, sometimes we tend towards toxic positivity. Where you dismiss negative emotions or respond to distress with empty reassurances rather than empathy. Something happens. Well, I, let me not... The common one, the most common one I think I've seen, it is well. <laughs> no, I think we move. It's actually more like you know, we move. We understand that ah, it has happened. We move. But it is well. Here's, here's something. Please, I, I think I would like to read this in, in the message. Um, if someone can help me turn that, because I don't have the message on my phone. Um, James 2, 14 to 17. Um, and while, while we're looking for that, toxic positivity is all usually well-intentioned. It's not like the person telling you it is well. It's, sorry, please, it's not all that it is well, Pico, before you go and misquote me. 
there's some it is world that comes with a sense of fear. And like, there are some that are just bland. Ah, it is well. Is it, is it Omar Shell? What does it say? So while we're looking for the, while we're looking, while someone's opening that verse for me though in the message, um, oh, it's on screen. Oh, great, 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 great. From, okay. Dear friends, do you think you'll get anywhere in this if you learn all the right words but never do anything? Does many talking about faith indicate that the person really has it? Next verse. For instance, you come up upon an old friend dressed in rags and half starved. Yep. And say, good morning, friend. Be clothed in Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And walk off without providing so much as a coat or a cup of soup. Where does that get you? This is where I'm going. 17, please. Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? <laughs> Let me balance this, though. You see in Scripture where... Um, Paul goes, oh, foolish Galatians. Um, you don't see him confessing anything positive about them. You see scripture asking, is anyone afflicted? Is any sick? Where scripture acknowledges that position. Sometimes what we tend to do is overlook that and simply paint the fool's D and... <laughs> Because I, I was, yeah, paints the full story. I think let's, let's, well, not full, paints the end of the story. Because we know it would all end in glory. We know that being sick, being afflicted is a temporary state. Eternally, you are good. Eternally, it is well. But that doesn't mean you should ignore the, I mean, drip is eternal, right? But if someone is clothed in rags today, it is well is like <laughs> what would <laughs> completely ignoring the co the current state would make you not take that step that would lead you to the actual eternal state, or that would lead for that reflection of the eternal state in the now. Drip is eternal, but someone who is clothed in rags today is clothed in rags today. If you acknowledge that his drip is eternal, you will give him dripping clothes. Great. But you would not see such a person and go, drip is eternal, it is well, and move on. All right, so let's, let's, let's come back. Here's the thing, though. Um, the, I mean, we recently went through the, the uh, gift series, and we talked about the fivefold ministry gifts, um, well, the church ministry gifts and the purpose for the equipment of the saints, for the fire of the body, till we all come to the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son. So we all come to the unity. Meaning, there needs to be that which every joint supplies. Right. Um, so I think, am I forgetting anything? Because we're beginning, we're about to close out now. 
All right, so the, we just talked about the components of black rock thinking. It's the first draft. Um, if you have any suggestions, upgrades, please, I'm, I'm all open to, you know, taking this. But it, it's composed of four things. There are trials, there's a rock, there's a tower, or there are towers, and then there's the black assessment, what I've referred to as the black assessment. Um, I'm sure we all understand what these things are based on how far we've come. Um, but I think I just want to focus, uh, take, just talk a little, touch a bit on the trials, how that the trials are really the litmus tests. Um, and bearing in mind that the real test of knowledge is utility, we, what we should be more focused on is our actions rather than head knowledge. Right, so as a man thinks it's in his heart, so is he. So you may put something in your head, but it's not in your heart, like it didn't settle. So it may be there temporarily, but it's not, yeah? Um, and then, I mean, we have this guy. I don't know anyone else who knows Jim Quick. Okay, it's like I'm totally near in this place, but I mean, thank you. Um, all behavior is, is belief-driven. Shout out on the chair because you believe you can carry your weight. If you didn't, you won't be sitting. All right, so the instinctive response when one has a trial is um, contradictory. A contradictory attitude to failure, meaning you try to cover up um, cognitive dissonance, that's one I didn't get to talk about, how um, you try to get something and then when you don't get it, you say, eh, I never really wanted it in the first place. <laughs> yeah. Where, like, rather than sitting down to address, look at, okay, what really happened? What went wrong? Like, well, I, I didn't want it, so let's, let's move on. Let's... There's cognitive dissonance, endowment effect, confirmation bias. At best, what this would end up doing is if you're not going to leave that area in your cityscape empty, was the best thing that can happen. Even though it's probably the worst thing is that you end up reconstructing with exactly the same material and another half and puff. And but here's the flip, the black assessment. It's a progressive attitude to failure um, where there are objective assessments, um, there are questions and rev uh, reviews that question extant beliefs that actually have you examine your actions and leads to repentance. I'm sure we all know that the true definition of repentance is not feeling sorry. It's a, to be convinced of another way, to change your mind or conviction about a thing, right? So to speak, a rebuilding with better material. So, black box thinking really is to find your way around the instinctive response to override that instinct to have the black assessment. Again, this not just applies to errors, but also knowledge gaps and deviations. Um, after, all, after all is said and done, this is in closing. The mind is like a cityscape with each building or tower being a body of knowledge. And you have quite an amount. Um, but the idea is build deliberately. Yeah, you probably don't want to end up with the Lagos. No offense. <laughs> you, you probably, you may want to end up with the Lagos, but I don't know, but you probably don't want to end up with the Lagos. So build deliberately. Um, and then awareness over instinct. Um, and more often than not, this would need to be deliberate until it is second nature. 
where you actually check your instincts. I mean, so many times, funny enough, this has happened to me too, as well, where someone asks a question or someone does something, and I'm about to, you know, react, and I'm like, wait first, think about what you're about to do. Well, what effects do they have? Right, that... Human instinct has a place. This is not me saying that all human instinct is, but the reason you're a human being is because you can think. Awareness of our, of our um, instinct. Um, next would be feel forward, feel up. Um, meaning have, have a progressive attitude to failure. It's a state and not the end of the world. Um, and not your final being. A progressive attitude to failure is one that enables people to learn from their mistakes such that they are, are your mind, free from errors, free from sins. Um, I think it's better, generally, I think it's better to fail in the tertiary trials in the here and now and fix up than to find out on the last day that strong year. All right. Um, okay, so this slide should have come before. But, um, so here, here are a couple of questions that I think can be or could be helpful really with, with a black assessment is what does this action or outcome of this trial, say I believe, or say I know. Um, I mean, if you sat down, it says something. If you stood up for somebody, it says something. If you, it says something about what you believe. Um, does this belief, so a couple of full-on questions when you identify that belief or that tower. Does this belief align with the work? Because if, if, it's, if it's not on, if it's under it or beside it, problem. Kind of needs to be on. Does it align? In what knowledge is this belief founded? Like where, and this is more with respect to spiritual things. So this, this idea you have, this belief you have, what body or what knowledge, where is it found in scripture? Um, is this belief an exegesis or an exegesis? Am I reading meaning into this scripture or is the, does the context of this scripture align with what I am taking from it. Um, and then, do I share with someone? Um, yeah, I forgot to balance this out earlier on. But sharing with somebody um, is tricky. I get it. Because there is, again, that human tendency. And of course, you wouldn't want to have your business as it were. It's not like you say, come here. and like, You don't belong to the streets. Um, so but I would say do have a company, have a mentor, have people you can have that sort of communion with. Um, lastly, as a man, well, no, that's the second to last. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If you fight for your limitations, uh, that's, or the limitations that may appear, or things that may appear to stop you from implementing this active thinking, this active building, you get to keep them. And lastly, stay fly. Ah, you, you run too fast too. Go back, go back, go back. Stay fly. Stay fly. <laughs> you can't go back. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, but stay fly. Flexible yielded, or flexible light and yielded. Flexible, meaning don't be stuck in your ways, so to speak. Don't dig in. If you see... Um, this confirming evidence. Um, 
And yeah, what are those darlings in your PowerPoint shirt, right? Today's the last day, right? Great. So if you haven't gotten your shirt, today's the last day. Thank you very much. Um, any questions? Even though I think I am terribly out of time. Questions? 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 Okay, one question. I was hoping Pastor Dan would be around today so that if you pass my power, I can just. Uh, okay, I think I think I think I can hear you. It's just that we may not be able to, we may not all hear you, but I'll repeat I'll repeat the question. hear something else okay if i hear something else about someone saying oh jesus is not god or someone says um homosexuality is something we should accept even though the bible condemns it it doesn't align with my already existing knowledge of god's word so i reject it okay so in in that light confirmation bias is not always a bad thing um but here's If, and this is a big if, the opinion is sourced and backed up with facts and figures that are coherent, then I don't think it should be ignored. I'm not saying it should be automatically accepted, but it should be proven. Here's the funny thing. Atheists, and even some of the examples you mentioned, have facts and figures, quote and unquote. Well, I think for some of them, for some of them is sentiment because some of it doesn't even add up to common sense. Um, but if there are facts and figures backing certain things up, I don't think it should be ignored. I think it should be proven. And the truth is, you know how the Bible says that God has, um, creation screams his glory so that on the last day, no one is without excuse is that if you actually go into those facts and figures and prove them, you would end up on your answer. So, confirmation bias for um, things that are objective and promising. So for example, oh, let me use that example. Okay, let me just keep it as the explanation. Confirmation bias it means does not mean that you should automatically accept everything or it means that you should not ignore disconfirming evidence. That's what it is. If somebody says this, it doesn't mean that... If some, so if somebody says something that is based on emotional sentiment, of course, no backing, move on. If somebody says something that has facts and figures, I'm not saying automatically accept it. I'm saying don't ignore it. Prove it. Yeah, prove it wrong or... Prove it right if, if it is right. We'll prove it. So almost everybody who has tried to prove the non-existence of God has, what they have done is that they have ignored contrary evidence because it's staring you in the face. So more often than not, people who come up with um, some of these things that are backed with facts and figures 
tend to frame and ignore certain. Um, so don't automatically accept, but don't ignore. Okay. Um, so my question is actually of a much more bizarre nature. Okay. So um, many of this, uh, many of the things we were taught today, uh, the effects and the different uh, philosophies and perspectives. Yeah. So my question is, what can we see, or where can we see um, this instinctual or instinctive resilience to some type of knowledge? Where can we see stems from? Um, excuse me. Yeah. So we've seen believers. It's not even a reaction towards external beliefs or new age beliefs or new developments. Just things that are probably still in the Bible. We've had arguments with Christians that still believe that Jesus is the only child of Mary. It's actually funny, but it's the truth. Some Catholic people, the moment you say something like, oh, do you know he's not the only child of Mary? It's their system has this, they just hang. They hang like, so, and it's like from small, small issues like that as Christians. So, I know everything is, in a, ploy, is a ploy for self-preservation, not accessing some thoughts or having issues with intersectionality in some kind of way. But will, I, will we say it stems from, is it fear, is it laziness, is it the... Yes. Is it is it fear of not using your brain? I don't, or maybe the laziness to not think or to try thoughts. Okay. That's my question. Um, so, if I heard you correctly, there are two questions. There's the first one of where does some of these instincts stem from, and then there's a second bit about how this relates with some people and their knowledge of spiritual things. Okay. Um, So where it stems from? Um, so my answer is in two ways. Um, and, and I usually find that, let, let me not go down that route. But where does it stem from? I would say, uh, biblical answer is sin nature. Fall of man and all of that that came with it. So I think uh, Romans 7 speaks about um, that which I want to do, I do not. Um, this is a sin that is working in me. So, I mean, sin nature came in during the fall, and that has been with human beings for a long time ingrained. Um, the, <laughs> the scientific scientific explanation to that would be what you already mentioned. Um, instincts, evolution, self-preservation tendencies. And that's where most of his instincts come from. If you actually trace his instincts down, you see how that these instincts actually serve to preserve human beings for a time. So they weren't always <laughs> biases. They were sometimes that they were the right way to do things. Like if you see a purple, a purple if somebody died eating a purple grape yesterday, you don't need to go and confirm that this purple grape will kill you. Just avoid it, right? Um, then the second bit, I think it would be that A couple of, a number of, of us, um, and this is myself inc inclusive, how, especially growing up in Christian homes, sometimes we're just fed ideas 
without any backing. So we've grown up over time believing certain things, not knowing where they are sourced or where it came from. So there is a city, there's an area of that city that has been built. We don't know what source it is. We don't know if it's on the rock. We don't know if it's... And we haven't actually actively taken the time to bulldoze and start from a clean slate. So some of those things still stay there, which is why the Bible says the renewing of your mind. So um, I'm trying to remember who exactly... I think it was Pastor Dami that said this, how he puts it. In how that on salvation, your spirit is new. Your mind is necessary. Your body isn't. Your mind necessarily isn't. So there's that active pulling down of strongholds that needs to happen and a rebuilding, which is why we need to, from time to time, examine our beliefs. I hope that. Okay, he has one more. Um, okay, so is there a is there an advisable framework against which um, or an advisable framework that can ensure that a believer is fly, right? That can ensure that the black a, box. Right, I'm, I'm kidding, but yes, it's really, it's really just to question it. So you find yourself doing something, ask yourself, what does this here I believe? You find yourself um, saying a particular thing, like, okay, where is this source? Where did this knowledge come from? Why do I believe this? Um, and then uh, usually in, in this process, which is why there was a question about um, who contributes more in an inquisitive exploratory process. Once you can give yourself, what was the thing, empty your mind, right? What was that? Once you can clean slate and actually try to answer the question and not confirm that which you already believe. So you have a question or a belief, you're not sure where it comes from. So the question is, what does the Bible say about this? I start your research. Okay. He has plenty of questions. Okay. <laughs> because of time, maybe let's see after service, right? Thank you. Okay, I'll, I'll be quick. Um, thank you, Pastor Itero, for... Um, um, for this <laughs> this teaching, so uh, uh, there is something that you that you that you spoke on drawing the similarity with we and animals. I know that it's always said that we are higher animals, so uh, who said we are <laughs> very instinctive. Who right? said? Um, I mean, that's why it is said that we are higher animals. Is the fact that we can bring rationality into in our responses to what's happening with us. It's different between us and a dog. The dog is hungry; it looks for food. That's how it responds to its need. Um, you see dogs having sex on the road. They're they're not thinking rationally. They're just instinct. They're just responding. And I know that one of the things that Scripture teaches us to subscribe to in dealing with our instincts is um, fasting. For instance, fasting um, teaches us how to suppress, you know, our instinct and respond naturally. So you're hungry. You're not just thinking, go and eat. So that practice in itself helps us to, over time, learn to suppress our instinct and then respond rationally. So apart from fasting, I don't know if you could just highlight like. One, two, three measures that we can employ and engage for time to help us deal with our instinct. So, <laughs> so it's a little above my pay grade. <laughs> I don't know if any of the pastors want to chime in. But I mean, fasting is actually something that, that I, I forgot to mention. I, ha I have it written here um, because it is actually mind-blowing how, how it works. Actually mind-blowing how it works. Um, Fasting and prayer, I think if you ask me, um, I would say, I don't know if any, any of the pastors want to. No? No? Ah, okay. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll, I would say um, awareness. So if you look at the, 
if you look at the gum java test, for example, it's a question of awareness versus instinct. Um, if you are more aware, you would be less instinctive. If, I mean, if, if you're more aware of what's going on in your surroundings and you are, you'd be less instinctive. You'd be less just responding or just reacting if you are actually more, more aware. Um, so that would be, ah, this sounds like a template, you Please, what time do I have to be out of? Okay, yeah. So um, that's, that's, that's about it. Um, <laughs> okay, so I mean, we could see after service. And anybody else who has any further questions? Um, oh, you want to answer after service? Okay, my August has spoken. All right, thank you very much. Um, I think I'll be inviting Pasolinka. Hallelujah. Thank you so much, Pastor Ich. Wow, what a word. For more messages, connect with our tribesmen across all social media platforms at Powerpoint Tribe.